Support for this podcast and the following message come from Georgetown School of Continuing Studies, offering online degrees designed to fit your schedule. All hours, all Georgetown. Learn more at scs.georgetown.edu. In The Farewell, Aquafina plays Billy, a young woman whose beloved grandmother back in China is diagnosed with lung cancer. The family decides not to tell the grandmother, whom they call Nainai, that she's got only months to live, a decision that Billy strongly disagrees with. They turn a cousin's wedding into an excuse to bring the entire extended family together to say their goodbyes. Spoiler alert, we really like The Farewell, which was written and directed by Lulu Wang, based on a piece she did on This American Life. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Glenn Weldon. And here with me and Stephen in the studio to talk about The Farewell are Kat Chow of NPR's Code Switch team. Hey, Kat. Hey. And joining us from New York is Kathy Tu, the co-host of the podcast Nancy from WNYC Studios. Welcome back, Kathy. Hello. All right. So, Kat, I'm going to start with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you are presently on book leave. I am. You are writing a book about grief, <laughs> and <family>. mothers, <laughs> Asian families. Asian families. Yes. Uh, wow. So I'm going to guess that this particular, I'm going to posit, I'm going to yes. say that this movie was a Kat Chow seeking missile aimed straight at your heart. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And I'd been like, I'd, I'd heard about it for so long because of the This American Life episode that came out. And when I finally watched it, it was everything that I had hoped for and expected. And right now, like, I don't even know where to begin. But seeing this movie, I think the strongest reaction that I had was this really feels like an Asian American movie in the sense that identity is just assumed where you're really in the characters' interiors instead of things being explained like other very prominent Asian American movies that we're seeing in the more recent year. I thought that it was a wonderful rendering of grief and China and family and I cried a lot and Mm -hmm. I saw a second (laughs) time with my sisters who also cried a lot. (laughs) Like the old aunties behind us also cried a lot so you could just hear a lot of like (laughs) sniffling nose noises and Uh I loved it. It was a good movie. All right, Kathy. Nose noises? Any from you? <laughs> I I am somebody that I feel like doesn't have tear ducts, so I didn't <laughs> cry. But I didn't know that this movie was being made um, from that This American Life story. When I heard about it, I went to go watch it. I was shocked by how little explaining happened. And I was really, mm. really, uh, I really enjoyed it because of that. And I was, I think I was so concerned while I was watching the movie about whether or not the rest of the audience was going to understand everything. Mm -hmm. Mainly, like, I was shocked by the fact that a good portion, maybe, like, 90% of the movie is in Mandarin. Mm -hmm. I was like, what is happening right now? (laughs) Everything is subtitled. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Steven? Well, I am... Centered on your experience, clearly, this film. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but also, I am not so much a a man as a tear duct in the shape of a man. Gotcha. (laughs) (laughs) So so virtually every movie is tailored for uh, for my specific emotional responses. I didn't cry a lot at this movie until one single beautiful frame laid in this film that just absolutely wrecked me. I appreciated how subtle this movie is. It does a really nice job of mixing swelling music with long patches of silence in in a way that, that really gets under the skin. And I think it does such a nice job framing a conflict in which both sides get equal claim to being right. Mm -hmm. So it sets up this ethical dilemma. And I felt really strongly 
on one side of that dilemma early in the film. And I was really surprised by the way the movie kind of kept nudging me in one direction or the other until by the end I really didn't know how I felt. I mean, I still have a position. I still have a thing I would have done under the circumstances. But I appreciated Mm -hmm. all this examination of duty and family and a person's place in the world and within their family. And all of these things are examined in ways that didn't feel didactic. So you're swimming around in in these ideas without necessarily getting cranked in one direction or the other. I really, really enjoyed it. Right. And because this film isn't pushed at you in any way, there's so much restraint on the part of the filmmaker in the script, in the acting, you know, when somebody makes a pronouncement about this is what it's like in the West and this is what it's like in the East, you're conditioned to kind of like seize up and go, oh, here it comes. But it doesn't feel Mm -hmm, like that because these conversations feel completely natural. And I was impressed as hell by Aquafina in in Mm -hmm. a, what is a role of just pure reaction? So much of this film takes place in close up on her face and her expression doesn't change a lot because she's just, you know, she's grieving, right? So there's another version of this film somewhere where everything about this film is bigger and it wouldn't work in any mm. any way. I mean, I'll be honest. Call me a cur. Call me a churl. But, <laughs> but after a while, this film is so muted and after a while, it's just essentially people in a room having feelings at each other that did I want something more to happen? Something mm-hmm. bigger to happen? Something uh, not necessarily like having turning Nine Nine into like a rapping granny or anything like that. Like it, it, none of that should happen. <laughs> and but I did notice that I saw it in a largely empty theater, and there yeah. were comic moments of just you know the the dichotomy between what Nine Nine is saying and what the actual reality is. And I could feel that in a more crowded theater, the comedy of that would kind of land harder. And mm-hmm. it just the few folks who were in my theater were just being very as almost as deferential as the film felt. Mm-hmm. So I didn't experience this film as a comic film at all. This was a drama with some lighter moments. Yeah. Uh, Kat, do you? Interesting. That's so funny because in both theaters that I saw it in, people were just laughing hysterically. Like there's a line, and I don't think it gives too much away, where the mother basically says something to the effect of, you know what Chinese people say, when you get cancer, you die. And um, I was actually reading about this line later on, and, you know, Diana Lin, who plays the mother, and Tai Ma, who plays the father in Aquafina, were sort of surprised that this was one of the lines that got such big laughs, because Mm -hmm. when they were in the moment, you know, this was a very serious part. Maybe it's like a lot of the energy that goes into that. And what, like when I when I heard that line delivered, I was like, oh, that totally sounds like something one of my relatives would right. have said. Just deadpan, where you have to laugh because it feels so completely dire otherwise. It's right. a laugh of recognition. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I wanted to point out about Aquafina's performance is that her Mandarin actually is apparently not that great. Mm-hmm. And even though she had lived in Beijing for a couple years, she had to do a lot of studying to be able to play this role where I think she hired an international student. And so a lot of her preparation for playing Billy was in trying to figure out what these lines meant, but also how to deliver the emotional affectation with a mix of cast that was both from America and then also based in China. Mm -hmm. And so I think just, you know, culturally and with so many language differences, that could have been really challenging. Well, and the movie explains it away to the point where it's a strength. Yeah. You know, if if she's she's struggling to 
communicate in some cases with her relatives. I mean, it's creating a language barrier with her relatives that her Mandarin is not as strong as as that of her relatives. Yeah. And that is something that draws some some distance between them. Yeah. The only thing that actually bothered me in her performance was that I wish they had done up a little bit more of the language barrier because mm. the way she speaks Mandarin and because I understand Mandarin, the way she speaks it, she speaks it in a way that's very um, like how an, an American person learning Chinese would speak it. But the words she's using is is much more complicated than she sounds hmm. saying right, it. Does I that make sense? That. So um, I had a hard time being like, how does she know these words? <laughs> how? <laughs> Um, but that 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 might just be me. <laughs> if she had played it in a slightly different register, the audience would become less sympathetic to her character and believe that she's making uh, Nine Eyes Illness all about herself. And it plays with that tension, I think, but it ultimately never c- crosses over. Do you agree? Yeah, because I think the audience, I think the filmmaker knows that the audience is going to automatically side with Billy because we understand that if somebody, if one of our parents or grandparents are dying, then we have to tell them. Like they say in the movie, it's like illegal to keep it from them. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really smart that Lulu Wong like sort of explains how the um, Chinese culture would deal with something like this. I thought Aquafina did such a good job of like tiptoeing that line of like, I really, really want to tell Nai Nai what's going on. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I love her so much and the rest of the family also loves her so much. Like, everything is done out of love. Well, and, you know, we've talked about the careful line that Aquafina draws in her performance, which I agree is, is outstanding. I was really, really taken by the performance of Zhao Shuzhen mm-hmm. as, as mm-hmm. Nai Nai. Mm-hmm. I, I think so you talk about walking a fine line. One of the things that you're experiencing as a viewer is you're not 100% sure that she's not in on this. Right. Right. You're not 100% sure that she is really walking around oblivious to her long-term health condition. And I right. think that is such a careful and intelligent way of approaching that character. And, and, and I think the movie contends with that in in really smart ways. I also got to give a shout out to Taima. Of course. Oh, yes. Who, who <laughs> yes. is, my God, first of all, he has been in, I think, 60% of all of the entertainment I have ever consumed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His, his, IMDb. His, IMDb, his IMDb page has 123 acting entries. Uh-huh. Uh, he's mm-hmm. in Arrival. He is in the Rush Hour movies. He is in every. TV show. Right? It's yeah. ever. It's one of those things where you're reading the IMD page and you think, well, a- any minute now I'm going to hit Nash Bridges. There it is. <laughs> Nash Bridges. <laughs> he's, been, he's on Walker, Texas Ranger. Walker, Texas Ranger, of course. Yeah. If he yeah. were old enough, and his IMDb page dates back 40 years, uh-huh. if he were old enough, I mean, guarantee you the love boat would have been on there. Absolutely. And, but these are all <laughs> relatively minor roles on these, right? And I don't mm-hmm. know if I've ever seen him in a drama with like this much depth to his character mm-hmm. and it was it was really exciting. Well, there's depth to the character and he's every dad ever. Yeah, wow. that's true. The smartest thing that this film does is right away we get introduced to a major theme which is it's Nine Eye and Billy on the phone 
and they are both lying to each other. It's the kind of lies every family does to kind of paper mm-hmm. over something just to get through this conversation. Can we just get through this conversation mm-hmm. really quickly? I'm a, I have to I have to get off the phone now. And that becomes a major theme. That becomes yeah. the thing that this film is about is how much of of, of family life is based on pure deception. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> well, it says based on it's an actual true. lie right. at right. the top of the film. And right. then actually, I think what's really fascinating to me is that in Chinese, the name of the movie is Don't Tell Her. And there was, I think, in the yes. New York Times article and maybe the Fresh Air interview, they talked a lot about how when filming this movie, they were actually in the same town where Lulu Wang's grandmother currently still lives. Mm-hmm. And she would come to set, but not really know what was going oh on. God. And mm-hmm. and so there was a lot of overlapping of real world and continuing this deception and right. requiring that your entire <laughs> crew has to be <laughs> in on it, too. Right. Now, uh, if you've heard about this film without being one of the people who are waiting for it, you've heard that it is doing extremely well because it has a huge dollar per screen basis. So in its opening weekend, this thing made $88,000 per screen. It was on precisely four screens (laughs) across the country. Compared to uh, Endgame, which made $77,000 per screen and was on every screen everywhere. It was like, (laughs) it was on mirrors. You couldn't pass. It was everywhere. That makes it the number one per screen average of the year, beating Endgame, which is kind of a big deal. But what I want to know is that that opening weekend was people anticipating it, wanting to go see it. Right. It's still holding on. It's still doing very well. Is there something that this film gets particularly right about the Asian family, about uh, the immigrant experience, about families just in general? Hmm. That's a really good question, Glenn. I think that for me, what I saw it was just this idea of displacement where Billy goes to China and, you know, her language skills are not that adequate, but also you just have these expectations and this filial duty that, you know, her family is basically demanding that she follow. And the whole arc is, I I think, a lot of the experiences that I grew up with, which is like, at what point do you take these these obligations as your own? And Mm -hmm. I think the movie gets that really, really well. And I found that very moving. It's the family dynamics that I really, really related to because almost every conversation besides like hiding cancer from my grandmother, um, I feel like I've had that conversation with somebody in my family. Like there's a scene in the movie where the entire family is sitting around the table at a restaurant and they're kind of like the mom is jousting with, I think, an aunt um, about like whether America's better or worse than China. And I was like, oh my God, we've had this conversation. We've like, <laughs> had this conversation. It is so awkward and they never stop. I think the thing that I really loved about the movie that stood out was just how much of a project this is in identity, where you have this, you have Lulu Wang, who is a Chinese American filmmaker having to, you know, sell this movie that's based on her entire life and like bring this to a country that she is a part of. And I felt like even the meta part about making the movie and the movie itself just spoke to so much of like where you're in both worlds. And I really appreciated that as someone who is also, you know, trying to tackle a project like this. All right. Thank you. Yes. Tell us what you think about The Farewell. I have a feeling one or two of you might be uh, interested in this particular film. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCA or tweet us at PCHH. When we come back, it will be time to talk about what's making us happy this week, so come right back. 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from the University of Alabama, offering Bama by distance. Choose from over 70 premier bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degree programs in a flexible online format in areas including business, communications, social work, education, and more. Give your career a boost through the University of Alabama's online degree programs. Learn more or apply today at bamabydistance.ua.edu. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Hulu. With the largest streaming library full of your favorite reality TV shows, Hulu is the home for reality TV's biggest fans. Catch all the drama, all the tears, all the heartbreak, all the competition. Because Hulu has your reality TV. Start your free trial today. Learn more at Hulu.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Google. From Connecticut to California, from Mississippi to Minnesota, millions of American businesses are using Google tools to grow online. The Grow with Google initiative supports small businesses by providing free digital skills workshops and one-on-one coaching in all 50 states, helping businesses get online, connect with new customers, and work more productively. Learn more at google.com grow. Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. It's time for our favorite segment of this week and every week. What is making us happy this week? Cat Chow, what is making you happy Ooh, this week? I just started binging Halt and Catch Fire, the AMC yeah. series um, from a few years ago, actually, yep. which is how I would describe it is like the Mad Men version of personal computing, <laughs> mm-hmm. which sounds so unsexy, but I'm addicted. It's very disruptive to my work routine, but it's so good. There are some really great performances by the actress Mackenzie Davis, who plays one of the lead roles, and Carrie Bechet. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just so much to mine in there, and I'm excited to finish the whole series. How, like far, how far are you in? I am in the second season, the middle of it. Okay, because people say, start with the second season. Do you agree with that? The first I do. season is, find, is finding its feet. Do yes, the first season is, you know, if someone had not warned me about that, I think I would have just ditched it and said, I should go back to being productive. But now I'm like, <laughs> I'm like three days in and mm-hmm. I just, this is all I'm doing. It's okay. really bad. <laughs> so that's really what's making me happy. All right, Kathy, too, what is making you happy? Nancy listeners have recommended this show to me um, before, and this past week is when I really started watching it, Harlots on Hulu. Mm -hmm. It is about, I think, 18th century harlots in London and how they're trying to move up in, like, harlot society, I I guess I would say. Mm -hmm. It is fascinating and heartbreaking and very dramatic, and it's everything I need right now as I'm researching more in the next season of Nancy. That's great. That's Harlots on... Hulu. Hulu. Excellent. Thank you very much, Stephen Thompson. What is making you happy this week? Well, over the weekend, uh, we paid a visit to our friends who are board game people, and that meant a board game night gathered around their fancy gaming table playing a game called Dixit. Now, Dixit is kind of like Cards Against Humanity, but instead of words, you have these very evocative pictures. So you have a deck of cards, all of which have pictures on them, all of which kind of look like graphics from weird children's books is kind of the best way to describe (laughs) them. They're very fantastical, like maybe like prog rock album covers sometimes, uh, but very strange, very vague, very evocative. And basically, kind of like Cards Against Humanity, uh, you take a turn, you have a card, and you signal to everyone at the table a word or phrase or sound or something that will hint at which one is your card without telling them outright. Then each player at the table puts down a card to match that phrase, and then everybody picks from among the cards to try to guess 
which one is the dealer's card. It is a really fun party game uh, with a lot of kind of leeway in the rules to really tailor it to your own little squad of people. It's a lot of fun. Dixit. D-I-X-I-T. I I was going to ask for the spelling. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. I've heard about that game. Haven't played it yet. A lot of fun. All right. So what's making me happy this week is a few weeks back, we had Felix Contreras on the show, and he was talking about uh, Los Spookies. He also mentioned a few other shows, including Alternatino with Arturo Castro on Comedy Central. And I've been meaning to check it out. I finally got a chance to, and I am fully in. Uh, Castro had a recurring role on Broad City, and he was very funny on that. And he also was good on Narcos, but, you know, neither one of those shows really shows his range. Mm-hmm. This is what co- sketch comedy can do. But every episode has some connective tissue, usually revolving around him, his friends, his uh, his career, his love life. So what you get in every half-hour episode is a really good mix because it can go very big and very dumb. But it also leaves room in those pieces about himself for more grounded material that can be that can let him be funny with a gesture, with an expression, with uh, with a reaction. Nothing about it seems tired or hack. Uh, because it keeps changing things up on you. So it's, yes, it shares a sensibility of here's what it's like to be in 2019 a young Guatemalan man in New York City. That's the sensibility, but the execution allows for some real variation and surprise. So if I were to like list, if you saw the uh, Comedy Central listing of what, what these sketches are, you'd see the premises and you'd think, well, that sounds kind of lazy, but no sketch ends up where you think it's going to end up, which makes it truly exceptional and very funny. Alternatino with Arturo Castro on Comedy Central, and that is what is making me happy this week. And that brings us to the end of our show. You can find us all on Twitter. You can find me at G.H. Weldon. You can follow Stephen at I Dislike Stephen. You can follow Cat Chow, that's Cat with a K, at Cat Chow. You can follow Kathy Two at underscore Kathy Two. You can follow our producer Jessica Reedy at Jessica underscore Reedy. And our producer Emeritus and music director Mike Katzif at Mike Katzif. That's K A T Z I F. Mike's band Halokamin is providing the music that may or may not be setting your toe to tapping and your head to bobbing. Thanks you all for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. And if you have a second and you are so inclined, please subscribe to our newsletter at npr.org/slash pop culture newsletter, and we will see you all next week. To restore your faith in humanity, get the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. Uninterrupted conversations between real people about the things that matter most. This season, we're hearing from LGBTQ voices and what life was like before Stonewall. From lesser-known victories to conversations across generations. Listen to all 12 episodes now.